Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Nest. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase change makers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock. Welcome to Live Without a Net. Today, I have the pleasure of Anthony Magarasi. He's the founder and CEO of Trinity Packaging Supply. And welcome to the show, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be on. Yeah, so I'm so impressed by you. And you're a completely self-made man, born in South Jersey and, and now on the West Coast. And I kind of want to know like, where your spirit for entrepreneurship came from. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so growing up, I always had worked two or three jobs to put myself through school. Um, and I would, you know, I, w- I had really no money and no idea. And I didn't know people with money. And so I was just kind of like, well, while I want to be an entrepreneur, I don't think I'll ever actually be able to. Um, so there was always definitely a drive there from that, I think from not having it, but wanting it. And then I found Rowan University had a major called entrepreneurship and I was fascinated by it. I got involved. I was one of eight people in the program. So it was very early and there was a debate. People used to think you're either born an entrepreneur or you're not. You either have it or you don't, right? Kind of like sales. And I felt like you could learn to be an entrepreneur just like people aren't born a doctor, right? So if if you learn how to do it and you have the drive, I felt like I could. Um, so that's where the drive came from. That's really saying. interesting. Cause I mean, I yeah. didn't know I wanted to have my own company when I was in college and I don't find that many young people do. So who inspired you at that time as an entrepreneur? Was there anyone you were thinking of? Like I want to oh, be there are a lot of people. Yeah. So, um, I grew up with the family of entrepreneurs. So my uh, grandmother, my grandfather, they had their own um, companies. They had bars and schools, um, so I, you know, I always admired that. My father had his own company. He had a, a, a floor demolition company. So I saw him and how he would cold call for, for business opportunities. And I would actually, I spent eight years um, shoveling tile, you know, with there with him. And, and I, so I could see how it all worked. Billing, waiting to get paid from people, like all of the pros and cons that go with it. Um, my uncle uh, owned his own company. Uh, it was... I actually worked with him in sales for a while, selling digital um, digital filing systems. And at the time, people were barely using email. So no one knew what it was. So it was definitely a very tough sale. Um, and while a lot of those businesses came and went and and you know uh, had peaks and valleys, I kind of saw all of that. And I definitely thought that there was a way to do it other than working for someone else. Yeah, I agree. Do you believe that the sky is the limit when you're an entrepreneur? basically meaning you can make as much as you want to make. I mean, everything is yours. And that's the main difference between, say, having a regular nine to five job versus entrepreneurship. So I think it depends. I think that, and by the way, there's one person I left out who was a big influence on my life. I just like to mention. Um, so my uh, his name's uh, Dennis Rolls and he had a, a logistics company. Um, he was my friend's father and he was just a, a big mentor in my life and he had a, his own company. So he was also someone that kind of showed me that... It, you don't have to just fill out a resume and, and hope that someone hires you. You can start your own thing. That's awesome. Um, it really is about the mentors you have around you and the people that inspire you. But I was saying, do you believe like the real difference between a nine to five job and entrepreneurship is 
that the sky is the limit in terms of like financial freedom and just real day-to-day freedom? So it depends. I think that, so the thing that I like the most about being an entrepreneur and was it that was inspiring to me is that you can make it what you want it. Okay. So I happen to want to have the sky as a limit or no limit. I want to scale globally. I want to be a billion dollar company. Um, but some people, and I can totally see why they would want this. They just, they have a shop and they're totally content with talking to people as they come into the shop and, and having a relationship based, um, you know, uh, business. And I, well, I think all businesses are, businesses are relationship based, but I think that there's something to be said for being able to have a small shop if you want that, or to be able to expand and have no limit. Um, and that's the beauty of entrepreneurship, I think, is in creating what you want. Are you afraid of, of anything in your life or are you someone that likes to take on risks? I'm happy to take risks. I love taking risks. Um, I, when I get into situations that are scary, that are maybe um, unknown, whether it's being sued or in a lawsuit or uh, maybe about to lose a, a customer or something like that, I think that that's when I step up and I, I'm, I work my hardest and I'm as dialed in, more dialed in than ever. So I think that a lot of the risky situations are what drives me to be better. I think that's one thing many entrepreneurs have in common, you know, being able to handle things under pressure and the adrenaline of, of those challenging moments, because if you can't navigate them, then I don't think you as an entrepreneur would be successful. So when I do my best work is when I'm under pressure, (laughs) I'll get up earlier. I mean, so there was a time when COVID first hit and no one knew what was going to happen. It was, it was a very scary time. Um, but what I decided to do is face it head on. I would get up at 3.30, sometimes four in the morning. And that was when I would start my day out here. I would get up before a lot of people on the East Coast and really just focus on um, our supply chain, focus on making sure our banking infrastructure was was safe and sound. Um, I was very transparent to everyone in our company, like the the challenges that we faced and how I planned to make sure that we wouldn't lose a single employee. Um, and luckily we didn't, and we growed, uh, we, we showed a lot of growth and we thrived in that time. That's amazing. So it definitely like in a time of darkness, if you want to say that it was kind of making you more energized to, to get ahead of any problems that could arise. For sure. Yeah. And I read a really great book, David Goggins can't hurt me. I happened to read it. I read it like the quarter four of 2019, and actually had uh, the honor of having David Goggins come into our company and talk to our employees. And um, that was in February uh, of 2020, right before we had to go through that. So he was kind of like the voice that led us into the war that would become the next couple of years in navigating working from home and um, you know supply chain issues and potential uh, labor shortages and everything that came with the you know dealing with the pandemic. Um, but luckily we were able to get through it and, and um, we came out okay. That's awesome. And you're completely self-funded, you know, not to take away, cause I want to talk about your past and what brought you there, but I mean, you're completely self-funded and really a self-made man. So how does that, do you even like realize how impressive that is yourself? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. I think would it be all right if I provided a little bit of background to how that kind of happened and came That's into Okay. All right. Great. 
So going back to always wanting to be an entrepreneur, but I had no ideas on what a business should be. Um, I had no money to be able to throw at something or buy a franchise or anything like that. And I didn't know people with money that could invest um, a a significant amount to be able to do something like a franchise or or whatever it was. Um, So I was an entrepreneur major, graduated one of eight people um, with that um, under the business school as my major. And I just started working in sales for a regional packaging supply company. Uh, I spent three years there. I felt like I could do a better job on my own. So in 2010, I had just bought my first house with my uh, my wife, Diana. We just got married that year. And I decided to just go for it, quit, and just start Trinity. Um, in order to be able to do that, I had to raise, just as a buffer, $40,000. So what I did was, and my uncle Joe... Um, Aristone helped me come up with this plan. It was to break up these investments into $5,000, um, we called them equity slugs, where it was a $5,000 investment at a 12% interest rate. And it was a three-year investment, but I had the option to pay it off in two. Okay, So I was going around anyone I knew, whether it was um, a successful business person, whether it was uh, an uncle or a friend, um, Anyone who was willing to put in $5,000 and get the 12% interest rate, compound interest. Uh, I So out of uh, several different investors, I was able to raise $40,000. Um, luckily, I never had to touch that money though. It was just there in case I needed it to pay my suppliers before I got paid by my customers. But the, the number one thing, I read this article back when I was in, in college. It was um, in a, a business magazine and, and the title of it was Cash is King. And I read about how cash flow, you can operate on a negative income statement, a negative P&L for years if your cash flow is positive. So I understood the important and, um, and the opposite of that would be is if I was profitable, but I had a negative cash flow, you can go bankrupt, right? So it's really eye-opening. So I really put an emphasis in the early years of negotiating discounted payment terms with my customers. So I would ask them, if I give you a 1% discount on the invoice, would you pay in 10 days? And luckily, and I, I was very upfront and honest, I'm, I am a startup. And if we can get on a program like that, it would be huge to, um, to help my cash flow and to help scale and, and continue to grow with, our, with my customers. Um, I had a couple of major national accounts and they had agreed to those payment terms, whether it was 1%, some 2%, 10, net 30. And so what happened was I would, then go to my suppliers and say, hey, I need net 30 or I, I need net 45 or net 60, whatever I was able to negotiate with my suppliers. I was getting cash in, in in 10 days, but not having to pay it out to 45. right? And a, a lot of these customers, we sell packaging supplies. So like stretch film, tape, boxes, once they order them and use them, they have to buy them again. So it really kind of helped to build a foundation of consistent cash coming in before I had to pay it out to my suppliers. So then two years went by, I had the cash flow to be able to support. I never touched the 40,000. So I was able to pay back the 40,000 plus interest, all of my investors in year two. Um, and by the way, the reason we called them going back to the, the $5,000 equity slug investment, if for whatever reason, I couldn't pay back that money because it's high risk investing in a startup, they would have owned 1% of the company for every 5,000 they put in. And I'm sure every single investor would have liked for me to not have paid them back 
Uh, so they had 1% of the company at this point because last year we did uh, $60 million in revenue. Um, so they, they would have much, I think, preferred that they didn't get that paid back. But luckily I was able to do that. Um, and I kept great relationships with my original investors just in case I ever needed a second round of funding. I never did. Um, so I continued to manage the cash flow up until I had three consistent years of um, of a, prof- a profitable business. I always showed a lot of profit um, on, you know, as much profit as I could. So the banks would take me seriously. And then I was able to get a 10,000, I'm sorry, a hundred thousand dollar line of credit from Citizens Bank. Um, I think it was in 2013 and just kind of grow from there. I, I, it was, I think 80% of our accounts receivable would be the line of credit and I negotiated 90% over time. Um, and I continued with that structure. Now I'm on an asset-based lending structure with the bank. Oh, wow. So I continue to be able to own the company 100%, not have any outside investors and just have a positive cash flow, but also the safety, the safety net of an asset-based uh, line. Yeah, you'll have to explain that more to me later, but we won't get caught up in that now. That's interesting to me as an entrepreneur. <laughs> but um, yeah, sure. yeah, that's, I mean, unbelievable that you were able to do that in such a short period of time because you started in 2010. So it's been, what, 12 Thank years? You. We're in our 12th year. Thank you. Yeah, it's we have been doubling in revenue every two years since 2011. Um, so it's been it's been fantastic. That's, I mean, a true example of an entrepreneur. Um, you should definitely do speaking engagements to talk about that. I don't know how many people double their revenue every year. Thank you. It's, um, I, I think, and I really appreciate that. And for me, the impressive thing is that we have just done it really just knocking on doors and just cold calling and asking for opportunities. Um, so that that's been, it, it's not like we got a lot of, you know, hundred million in, venture funding or something like that. And we're able to build, we, we just used bootstraps over the years and just, you know, would cold call and knock on doors until our feet hurt. Do you have a large sales team or do you still make some of those calls with the larger clients? Oh, I do. Um, my background is sales. It's, it's what I love doing. I love being in front of people. Um, I have done less in-person meetings because of COVID. There's been a lot of restrictions um, in being able to have in-person meetings, but I definitely still do, uh, do Zoom. Um, or, or whatever video conferencing. And let's see. What was the question? It was, it was, do I still still get, what's the word I want to say? Like you, you still are handling, like people will say to me, like, are you're still involved in the business? Like you're still like, you know, not like getting your hands dirty, that sort of thing, but you're still making the cold calls. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think the one thing um, that helps that helps build my relationships with our employees is that in every department, because I was on my own for two years, I did everything. Um, in the beginning, I was a customer service rep. I processed the orders. I sourced our supply chain. Um, I, I was literally cold calling nonstop all day, every day to the accounting. So as I would hire people in the early years, and I would be able to show them how to do our accounting and show them how to process a purchase order. And I, I would always tell my employees, and I still tell them to this day, I'll never ask you to do anything that, that I wouldn't do myself or I haven't done myself. And so I think that there's kind of a, a roll your sleeves up mentality that goes from the top of our organization down. And even still today, there was or this past year, there's been a huge um, supply chain shortage on pallets. And I would spend days just cold calling pallet yards in different areas of the country with the rest of my company 
um, to meet, maintain the supply for our customers. So even today, I'm happy to jump in and, and roll my sleeves up because I'm not that far removed from it. But at the same time, I've really been trying to focus on working on our company as opposed to in it. So we can look at the big picture. Like we, you and I had discussed our in investments in technology and our, what I hope to be, industry dis disrupting website. Um, so I, I want to be able to continue and to be on the forefront of expanding into other countries and continuing to develop our technology to support that. For sure. I know I thought of you this week because I got a Uline um, brochure in the mail and it was something on like gold tape. I meant to tell you about it, but uh, do you stay on top of your competitors and make sure that you're in the lead essentially, or just do you stay on well, top to know what they're doing? Well, I think that that speaks to the opportunity that we have in front of us. So Uline, as you mentioned, I mean, they're the biggest and the baddest. I, they are a multi-billion dollar company. They have a national footprint. As a matter of fact, they have an international footprint throughout North America. And the reason I say that's an opportunity is because we're going to be able to have three times the product offering that they will. We're going to be able to have, as we do now, but we're going to have, through our new website, next day delivery on, on 80,000 stock items to their 32,000 stock items. And we're going to be able to do this by supporting local businesses by drop shipping locally. So we're going to have hundreds of suppliers drop shipping locally and our technology, and this is the exciting part, it's going to be able to find the lowest price on that roll of packaging tape that you just mentioned, the lowest price and the quickest lead time based on the shipping zip code, right? And if you don't enter your shipping zip code, it'll use the geolocation data. So what we're doing is we're banding together the existing inventory of manufacturers, of um, master distributors and local distributors. And we're making all of that inventory available and easily accessible on a world-class e-commerce platform, trinity.global. And the only other real competition for something like that is Uline. And so we essentially, to our 59 million or $60 million in market share, to their $5 billion or $7 billion in market share, whatever they do, um, there's really only opportunity for us to stand to gain. Right. I mean, I find that so interesting. So instead of you pulling from a big like shipping warehouse, you don't have to do that because you're helping local suppliers in no matter what zip code you're in. Yeah. So for the past 12 years in business, we have operated on a drop ship um, uh, business model where if we get an order from our customer, we will place the order with our supplier and they'll drop ship um, on our behalf. And we have negotiated over the years quick ship programs where it delivers the same day or the next day anywhere throughout the US or Canada. So we have a phenomenal supply chain and we have wonderful relationships with our suppliers. And they love what we're doing. Um, we have been helping them grow. And I think the beauty of the technology that we have in place is one, it's one of a kind where we're really automating the wholesale industry that traditionally requires someone to call or fill in a, an email to a company, wait for a sales rep to get back to them, and then they quote it on the wholesale side. But what we're doing is we're offering all of that pricing up front. So we're going to be more competitive. We're going to have three times the catalog. And at the same time, we're going to be helping these local businesses that currently are, are losing business because they don't have the breadth of the catalog or they, don't, they can't afford to have $70 million in inventory in a 900,000 square foot warehouse. Um, but we're going to be able to make 
those products available to our customers through technology. The shipping delays and inventory shortages, all of that stuff that's going on right now won't affect you. Well, it's, it's definitely always a challenge, but the beauty of our technology is that we'll have redundant suppliers in any given area. So let's just stick with the, the packaging tape that, that you had mentioned. Um, let's say it's a packaging tape in Philadelphia. We might have 15 different suppliers to be able to provide that. So if, and we, we have access into the inventory levels. So if one, we'll see what's the least expensive price with the quickest lead time, but let's just say they're out, it'll just go to the second supplier. And if they're out, it'll go to the supplier after that. So, so what we're able to do is mitigate the actual effects of the supply chain, the net, the global supply chain shortage by having redundant suppliers in a given area. And I think it's a testament to our robust supply chain team. We have um, we have a map of just all over um, the United States and Canada, all of the supplies that we offer, and we make sure that we have redundant suppliers in every single shipping zip code. And you plan to go global eventually. Yeah, so there's, there's no limit um, to the territory that we can be in. So there, there, so we are building this to not only be able to be in other countries, and we're in the process of getting set up uh, as an entity in Mexico, as well as an entity in Canada. Um, and they're going to be our second, uh, the kind of phase two. But after that, I mean, as long as there are companies that have inventory for packaging supplies, which there are, around the globe, what we're doing is we're, stand, we're organizing and standardizing the data for all of that inventory through our data analysts. And we're making it so that can be uploaded into our e-commerce platform. And then it'll just expand the shipping zip codes anywhere in the world. And so for us to be able to, sh- to, to set up shop somewhere, let's say in Europe, um, all we really need is a supply chain analyst, a sales rep, um, and a shared office space to just and and to just source the suppliers to be able to articulate what we're doing to our customers and to be able to have that uploaded into our system and then you know we'll, our marketing team would take over with with um, our SEO initiatives. Yeah, that's unbelievable. It makes me think like, what's the future of packaging? I mean, I've read things that. Amazon and others have drones that can deliver the packages. I mean, do you think that's what we're looking at if we're looking ahead in terms of what's next? I mean, you created this amazing technology, but even so, like, is it always going to be like typical shipping or, you know, by air, by truck? I am seeing some amazing things in automation as it pertains to logistics and warehousing. I see our um, our customers on the forefront of investing in electric um, electric vehicles, electric eighteen-wheelers. Uh, um, of the, the coolest thing, one of our customers is investing in fifteen hundred. Um, they're forklifts, so it goes around the warehouse, and you can be at home, and you can be essentially be riding the forklift <clears throat> from home, like you're playing a video game. Okay, it takes the pallet, puts it in the truck, and it's all remote. Okay, so so that so that's. Um, the future is being able to remotely um, control forklifts from anywhere in the world, right? So, so that's awesome. But the beauty, I think, about what we're doing is unless someone can come up with a way to teleport products um, safely, we're, we're still going to be selling boxes and we're still going to be selling packaging tape or stretch film 
or wooden pellets. So where technology comes into play there is, is being able to make all of these products available in one easy place for our customer and to be able to find the least expensive price and the quickest lead time for those, those products without having to do um, a cumbersome RFP that takes forever and the data might might not be accurate if maybe this is an 80 gauge or is it an 80 gauge equivalent, which is really a 51 gauge stretch film. Um, we're going to be able to have all of that up front and, and through a UX UI experience that is world-class. So are you launching it any day now? When should we expect? <laughs> that is a million dollar question. We, <laughs> um, we are, I would say, March or April is, is our planned launch date. We have been two years in development, so we are very close. Okay. We, we're to the point now where we're working on automating, automating the back end to be able to scale exponentially while keeping the same amount of staff. Wow, that's impressive. So um, in terms of like launching a new website and, and launching your new technology, um, I mean, like, what are the, what was the hardest part of, of going through this? Cause you've been working on it for a while. <laughs> Besides the cost of it, <laughs> besides the millions of dollars that have gone into it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, so, okay. The hardest part for me is going back to what I was talking about before, where with every department of the company, I could talk to the manager or anyone working there and saying, it, I have done this as well. Okay. And, and I, I could always jump in and process a purchase order if I need to, or jump in and, and be on a sales call or help with the counting. With development, I'm completely out of my depths. Okay. I can't code. So I don't know. I, I, I and I, I wish that I could help them. So all that I can do is say that I'm there for whatever they need with our director of development. He has my full support. Um, and budget. So, so it's, but it's been very challenging being able to completely rely on someone or a team of people, um, when I just really don't understand it. Right. It's just like the NFT world. I'm trying to understand. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, me too. And, and, uh, yeah. And cryptocurrency as well. Same. But I, so I'm learning as I go and I'm trying my best to lead. Um, but I, I really am. I, I, I trust my director of development. Um, he's an amazing person and a former Marine. So he's, he's leading his troops and, and he's, uh, he's doing a great job getting it done. Yeah. You mentioned lead. I agree with that too. I find all of that training fascinating um, mm -hmm. with any type of veteran. But in terms of you, like, what do you think makes a great leader? I think, I think what you need in a great leader or to be a great leader, you need to be able to inspire people to, and you need to empower other people. So I've always believed in empowering my employees to make their own decisions and to be able to have their own creative framework where they can approach a solution to a problem um, the way that they see it'll, it'll work or it'll work out best. And some people are really surprised by that. Some people want a lot of direction and that's okay too. But what my goal is, 
is for whoever it is in their respective position to look at it as a craft, just as someone has a hobby. Like I, I happen to play guitar as a hobby. I don't do it for any other reason besides I love doing it. And I try to be a better guitar player. Um, and I practice scales or I practice modes or chord progressions. I only do that because I want to be better at my craft. So what I encourage my employees to do, as does our management team, they encourage them to own that as a craft and really just, just master it. And then people tend to see it a little bit differently and they feel empowered and they feel like they're mastering their craft. And, and then they become better at that position than I would have been, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm too spread out. I'm all over the place. So I think that, that that's what you need in a great leader is to get someone to want to master their craft. Yeah, I agree. It's not always easy, especially if that person doesn't necessarily have the right drive for it or, you know, love what they're doing. That's what I struggle That's with. the challenge too. And and that's that's been a that's been a challenge for us. And now there are there are times where we don't have the right person in the right spot. And it's it's important for a leader to be able to recognize that and to either be able to move them to a spot. But if they just don't have the drive, then they're not a good fit working for us. So then it would be, uh, and we have experienced that, to be honest with you. And it's always tough because you always want to see people succeed, um, but you can't make someone want to to succeed. Okay. And in that, in that case, you just have to be able to move on and, and find someone. And, and and that's the other thing. You know, we we invest substantially in our team. We have a phenomenal team. Um, and and I'm, I'm very, it makes my job easier because people do things right. Instead of creating all of these problems, they, they own it. They master their craft. Um, they're highly intelligent. They're very personable. Um, so I'm very lucky to have the people that, that I have surrounding, surrounding me. Yeah, for sure. It's all about your team. I'm always reading that in any, you know, type of book I read or listen, listening to podcasts. Um, now for the average person, because I want to talk about them too, for anyone listening to this besides entrepreneurs, um, CEOs, et cetera, like wh- why should the average person be excited about your new, um, your new technology that you're launching? The first thing that people are going to notice is the world-class user experience of our website. Um, we're, we have best-in-class images. We have really cool, it's captivating from the home screen because we have, it's rare that you have an e-commerce catalog with images that move and change angles with slight automations as you scroll through it. So that's just kind of, it's new and different and interactive. So that's the first thing that you'll notice is the clean pops of color. Um, it almost looks like Google and Apple got together and decided to create a packaging supply company. I mean, it's, it's really best in class UX UI. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the ease of use generally to be able to order the supplies. Um, you can have all of the supplies that you order in a My Supply section and reorder very easily. But I think that the other thing that I would be excited about, I think, on a personal level in working with us is really supporting local businesses. Um, that they, they know that we're banding together all of these local businesses to try to elevate um, every person that we work with, whether it's our customer, we're trying to save them money and help elevate their company. If it's a supplier, we're trying to boost their sales and help elevate their revenue. So what we're really what we're really doing is, and that's the, what the name Trinity stands for, is the relationship between our supplier, our suppliers, our customers, and, and our company. So I, I think that in working with us, you kind of feel like you're a part of something. Um, so so there, are, there are some things to be excited about for sure, besides just shorter lead times and, and lower prices. 
And that makes me think of Primo's hoagies. So what are you doing with them for the local <laughs> listeners? <laughs> so for the local listeners, there's a new Primo's hoagies in Morristown uh, off of Linola Road. And um, my, my, one of my best friends, Eric Allen, is the owner. He's a former Marine, and I'm very proud that he's um, you know, venturing out to be an entrepreneur and having his own Primo's franchise. So what I thought would be really cool is a way to help support veterans who have lost their way. And so we've partnered with, um, with local veteran shelters. And what we're doing with Trinity and Primo's is we're going to be delivering food daily to homeless shelters and, and veteran shelters that... Um, have people that just need help and resources. So we're kind of starting there. We're going to see how it goes. Giving back is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It was so awesome. I think people will really be inspired by you and you're, you're young. I mean, you're still in your thirties. So, I mean, that's impressive in itself. So I just wanted to put that. Thank off. you. I really appreciate it. And there's just, there's one thing I wanted to mention. So you mentioned a question um, earlier, what advice would I have for aspiring entrepreneurs? And I think that this is something that could be, I would love to be able to tell them. Uh, So I am on the advisory board at Rowan University's entrepreneur program. And the one thing that I, I think is missing sometimes is you have to be able to put in the work. Okay. So it's great to want to have an idea or, or a product, but I think that because there's been a lot of high profile tech valuations and sales with doing some coding and getting millions of dollars and having this awesome office with tons of employees, I think that what's, what's missing is the reality of day-to-day businesses is it's relationship-based and it's a numbers game. You have to have uh, a certain amount of, of outbound cold calls, a, a certain amount of outbound um, meetings and and really just Whatever it is, whatever industry that you're in, you have to be able to work hard. I remember when I was when I first started, I wouldn't put the phone down. And when you're cold calling by yourself in a room with no sales, and when the if the 15 minutes seems like two hours, okay. And then if if I am doing a quote or something and the phone doesn't ring, the silence is deafening. So I used to cold call in person until my feet hurt. I would start at 7:30 in the morning and wouldn't stop until 5:30 at and no matter what, if I had planned to cold call, if it was raining out or whatever it was, I would still go out and do it, um, no matter what the elements were. So it's, it's very important for any entrepreneur in the beginning to have not, not only the drive to create, but the work ethic to follow through on that plan, no matter what. There can't be any excuse. The, it, you just have to make it happen. If, like you had mentioned, if one supplier is out of tape, you have to find the other one that has it or find the other one that has it. No matter what you have to do, you have to make it happen and there can't be any excuses. So um, I just think it's really important for any aspiring entrepreneur, put in the work. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for bringing that up because I always, whenever I've spoken to students or um, any, you know, even interns of mine, like I always say, like you have to put in the work, but it's hard to find. Like I was the same way working like holidays, nights, weekends. I mean, I've given my life to it and it's just hard to find people that understand that with the new generation, in my opinion, because I go through a lot of interns and young staff, like they don't want to work weekends. They want to work from home. They don't want to work after five. They, I mean, it's the entitlement blows my mind, but I guess the ones that truly put in the work are the ones that will make it. Um, it just made me think of that because I agree with you with a hundred percent, but it's just hard to find those people that have it like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, and it's a matter of 
what does putting in the work mean? So there, sometimes we'll have people, I'll have people that say to me, well, I called and left a voicemail and they haven't called me back yet. Okay. What I would do is if they haven't called me back yet, I would continue to call, even if it was every 15 minutes until I got someone on the phone. And if I couldn't, I would drive to them and I would go and I would meet them in person, whether it was a supplier that was, wasn't answering to be able to throw the stuff in the back of my car and deliver it myself. Um, that's how you get things done. You don't wait for someone to call you back. You go out and get it. Agreed. Even with what I do with going after news reporters, I'm like, you just can't give up. You have to follow up, you know, contact them on social media, like do what it, whatever it takes. I mean, not too much, but in a classy enough way, that's persistent, but still gets their attention. You have to, you have to flirt the line of stalking, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. You can't just give up. And so many people are just like, and I guess it's something that, that you can teach. I mean, some of it I feel is innate, like you either have it or you don't, but I think a lot of it can be be taught to you through education, mm-hmm. mentors around you. Um, I mean, I usually would say you're either born with it or not, but I do think it's who you surround yourself with that can teach you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, that is great. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, that reminds me, you're also in an, an entrepreneurship book. Can you talk about that? Oh, um, yeah. Let's see. I actually have here. There's a textbook. Um, Heidi Neck wrote it. It's in, um, it's in every entrepreneurship college uh, syndicated throughout the country, um, possibly other countries. I'm not really sure. But I was lucky enough to be featured in a chapter there. Uh, and I just really kind of talked about our growth and drive and, and how we differentiate ourselves. So that was um, a little bit of, of, our, his, of our history and really how at some point you just have to make the jump and you have to kind of, you have to just go for it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm very fortunate to be in that, in that book. That's like live without a net. That's why I started it. Cause I wanted to talk to people that created something that let go of the safety net. Cause there's so many people that want that safety net. So that's why I prefer talking to people who don't have that safety net, <laughs> <laughs> you know, without a net for a very long time, even in sales. I mean, people, some people who are commission based in sales, they, there's this veil of a safety net, but it's not really there because if you lose your customers, you lose your income. So why not just, why not just go for it? Exactly. I think too many people are afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, because it's, it's one thing to think about it, but it's another thing to actually do it and actually make and It's difficult in a lot of ways. There's a relationship. Sometimes you have a great relationship with the company that you're working with and you don't want to let them down. Um, you know, sometimes it, it takes a push to be able to do it. Yeah. So one more question. When, you, when you're helping your staff cold call or telling them what you would do, um, do you write up like a little speech or do you just say it out loud so they learn through you? Do you find that some of them are afraid to make calls? So I, I had designed a cold calling script. Um, and, and at first I thought a script would be, I didn't want it to sound too robotic or like we're a telemarketing agency, but I, what I would do is I would go back and I would write down what worked and what didn't every time I would make a cold call um, or for the, or at the end of the day, what was working, what wasn't. And I really refined leveraging social norms. Actually, I, I lecture about this um, at Rowan uh, from time to time, but it, um, leveraging social norms to be able to help your pro- increase your probability of closing a sale. Um, so things like asking questions that are option A or option B as opposed to yes or no, because a no just kind of shuts it down. So A or B questions, there's, there's all kinds of things that you can do, but what I, what I 
what I wound up creating was a very um, concise cold calling script that allowed you to put your own personality behind it, but also leverage social norms to increase the probability of being able to provide a quote during that call, a, a packaging supply quote. Um, and then it would always lead to, you would have closing questions. For example, the closing question in our, our cold calling script is, if our pricing is competitive, would you give me a shot at a trial order? Or if our pricing is competitive, would you have any reservations about giving me a shot at a trial order? If they say yes, sure. If it's because that sounds makes sense logically, if it's competitive, I'll give you a shot. Then you're almost there. If 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 they see you the quote and then they they realize that it saved you money, the first thing they're going to think of is oh, I told them that I'll give them a shot at the trial order. You know, so it it doesn't work every time, but it definitely increases the probability of a close. All right. Great advice to end on. Well, thank you so much for you know doing this podcast and giving advice. I'm sure so many people will listen to it. Um, do you want people to reach out to you if they have any questions? Yeah, I'm happy to. Absolutely. What's the best email to get a hold of you? Anthony at trinity.global. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much. That was Anthony Magarasi with Trinity Packaging Supply. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for now. Thanks everyone for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at Jenna.com and check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again. And I look forward to taking risks with you.